Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. We are talking about faith. We start, actually, Dave Beebe was here a couple weeks ago and talked about the prayer of faith, gave us kind of a fresh perspective on Mark 11, 23, and 24, and then last week I shared a message on what faith is. In fact, uh, yeah, more or less what faith is. I gave it, uh, Matt always wants a title from me so he can put a little blurb on uh, social media and stuff, and, and for the splash page or whatever it's called, and, and uh, I don't always know exactly what the title's going to be uh, or, or exactly what the message is going to be, but I got to send him a title, and I, I sent him a... Uh, uh, a text last week saying, calling it uh, Faith Brings Victory, I think is what I titled it. And the message kind of went a little different direction. But then after I sent that, I get a, I get a text from Pastor Hagen. I get one uh, almost every Sunday morning. I, we're tight like that. Uh, I'm just, this, this is a text I'm sure that goes out to thousands of pastors every week. Uh, but it was, it said, the, the text, I should have brought my phone in here, but it was, it was like, faith, remember this morning that faith brings victory. You know, that if you, and you're like, wow, we're, we're really tracking. Uh, and we're going to continue to talk about faith this morning. On Tony Cook's uh, Facebook page, he put a quote here by Dr. John R.W. Stott, which says this, Faith cannot exist in a vacuum or in isolation. It is always a trustful response to a trustworthy person. Remember what we talked about last week with Sarah? Uh, by faith, Sarah received ability uh, even past the age of childbearing to conceive. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. It's not just, again, it's not faith in a vacuum. It's a trustful response to a trustworthy person. Just thought that was uh, very, very good and worth sharing. So today, let me get back into my actual message, which I'm calling Learning to Walk. We talked last week about... Uh, uh, the basics of faith, what it is, what it's based on, and at the center of that message, I, I believe the center of it, for me anyway, was that bridge illustration. Do you remember that? How I'm on one side of the chasm, the, the met need is on the other. What I, the object of my faith is on the other side, and what I need to get there is a bridge. And the bridge is not faith. What is the bridge? A promise. It's a word from God. What is faith? Faith is walking across the bridge. And we're walking across the bridge, and this is why this is kind of, oh, I prayed, and I believed, and I still don't see it. What are you doing? You're walking. You're continuing across that bridge until you reach the manifestation, until you encounter the manifestation. And what I said last week is what we we're going to talk about this week is how you do that. What does it mean to walk across that bridge? Some of the nuts and bolts of it, I guess. It's easy to say, well, just stay in faith. Be in faith over this thing. What does that look like? How do I do that? And I said last week that I had a short message and I thought it was going to be, but I went kind of long. Today, I also think it's a short one, <laughs> but we'll see. It can't be too long because we have a leader's lunch today for small groups, and we're, uh, we're having pizza, and nobody likes cold pizza. Oh, I forgot. Everybody likes cold pizza, so I can go as long as I want, right? We'll, we'll see how this goes. Anyway, I want to look at three things, and to start with, how do I know what I can believe God for? If we're talking about being in faith, and if faith begins where the will of God is known, uh, what, what can I be in faith about? And uh, that's more or less where we started last week. 
But I want to expand on that just a bit before we get into two things we can do to actively be in faith. Let's start with, again, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, which reads, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. I like that because it's encouraging, it's faith-filled, and there are the built-in limitations. It's not I can have anything that I ever desire. It's I can have anything, anything, as long as I know that it is his will. All right? Faith begins where the will of God is known. And the number one way that God makes his will known is his written word. Uh, Dean Hawk posted something, I think it was today, maybe last night, that says, every time you say, I never hear from God, you are announcing to the world that you never read your Bible. <laughs> okay? Now, the number one way God makes his will known is his written word. You find a promise in the Bible, you can absolutely exercise faith for that. And uh, you say, well, okay, I see the verse, but I don't have faith. Yeah, you do. How do we know that? Because God has dealt unto everyone a measure of faith. Talked about that last week. Uh, and in Ephesians 2, again from last week, you are saved by grace through faith. And that, the faith, is not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. So you have faith. It's not a matter of do you have it, it's how do you exercise it, how do you express it, how do you activate it. Uh, that concept is so important that our very salvation rests on it. I just quoted it, you are saved by grace. It is grace that saves you, but in order to access that grace, you have to exercise faith. What are you exercising faith in? Where's the promise? The finished work of Jesus Christ. The cross, right? Whoever believes in him will not perish. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we quote these verses, we are emphasizing the enormous importance of knowing God's will and expressing faith in those promises. Now, but this is where it gets, you know, when we're talking our day-to-day -day, uh, living, walking in faith, growing in faith, Daryl Huffman, we were at the uh, uh, Rama Ministerial Association International, RMAI regional retreat in the last uh, couple days, Thursday and Friday, and Daryl Huffman from West Virginia, great Rama guy, was sharing with us, with a number of Rama ministers over at uh, Midwest Believers Church. And before I forget, uh, tonight, there is a healing service at Midwest Believers Church. That's Pastor uh, Trent and Rhonda Cloyne over in uh, Champaign, South Champaign. 6.30 tonight, Daryl Huffman will be ministering on healing, and I'm sure he'll be praying for the sick as well. We are invited, so you are invited. Uh, anyway, he was sharing about this, about faith, and he talked about this uh, woman. And I can't remember what the deal was. I think every morning at work, somebody would, would pass out donuts. It was just kind of like an appreciation but it, it wasn't for everybody. You know, you might get a donut one day, you might not. And this girl had never gotten a donut. So she started believing God that I'm going to get a donut. It's going to be my donut day. And she got a donut and she was excited and she went to her pastor and said, I got a donut. My faith is growing. And uh, it's a beautiful little story. And he said, you know, some of y'all are out there trying to believe God for a million dollars and you've never believed God for a donut. Start where you are. My question is, how do I know the donut is God's will for me? It's not God's will for me, all right? We're kind of going to talk about that. But you know, Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whatever. Now see, this is where 
toxic word of faith goes astray, goes off the rails, because Jesus did say, whatsoever, whatever, that does mean anything. But obviously it doesn't, because right off the bat we can eliminate sin. What if you, and maybe you've been there, if you've ever been so mad at somebody, you wouldn't quite kill them, but you wish they were dead? My life would be better. Now, could you turn that into a prayer? God, cause this person to die. Kill them. Is that a legitimate prayer? <laughs> Can you exercise faith that God will murder somebody for you? Of course not. Of course not. It might be a deep, heartfelt desire, but you can't pray in faith for sinful things. All right? I can't be in faith for something that is fundamentally opposed to the will of God. Now, most of us don't struggle with things like that. So here's a more common one, I believe. I really do. Uh, I really do believe that God delights in my prosperity and your prosperity. It says, it says it. He delights in the prosperity of his servants. And if he delights in the prosperity of his servants, how much more does he delight in the prosperity of his children? Prosperity has become such a bad word in so many people's minds. But there is what parent doesn't delight in their children prospering? And I mean in every way, including financially. All right? So I believe God delights in prosperity. So uh, can I, therefore, say I define prosperity for myself as uh, having a million dollars in the bank. I know that's not as big a deal as it used to be. A million dollars used to be a lot of money. It's still a lot of money. But uh, if I really do believe that God delights my prosperity, can I ask for and be in faith for, can I believe God for a million dollars? How many people a day do you think, just in this country, pray about the lottery? Guarantee you they do. What was that movie where Jim Carrey got to be God? Uh, what was that? Bruce Almighty. Yeah, and uh, he's complaining, and, and so God, Morgan Freeman, uh, Christian, by the way, produced that movie. He's, you know, maybe not 100% sees uh, the Bible the way we do, but it was written from a Christian perspective. And one of the things he had to deal with, all these prayers, were how many people were praying to win the lottery. So he just decides, I'll just answer everybody yes. <laughs> and so all these people quit their job when they realized they won, and then they realized each got about $3 because everybody who prayed won, and they split the pot, right? There's also another funny story. I, you've probably heard this before. You've probably heard me tell it before about a guy who prayed every week that he would win the big jackpot. He would pray, Lord, please, please, please let me win. It's up to, think, what I, think what I would do for the kingdom, Lord, if I just won this $132 million. Oh, next week it's $148 million. Please, Lord, why, why, why won't you answer my prayer? And God speaks to him and says, meet me halfway. Buy a ticket. Which is another, it's something else we're going to get into, the obedience side of faith. Sometimes he promises you and then tells you, here's how the answer is going to happen. You must do this. All right? I'll give you an example of that in a little bit. So we're going to tackle that one specifically first, and then we'll move into the general application. You've heard, I'm sure, about people who do come into sudden wealth. Uh, the stories abound. Do a web search. People who won the lottery. People who came into an unexpected inheritance, a large one. Uh, how many of you know those stories usually end badly? There's good stories out there. Most of them are bad. Most of us cannot handle uh, a sudden influx of wealth like that. 
Now, that doesn't mean we know that money isn't evil, prosperity isn't evil, right? Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but money itself is, is not a bad thing at all. And it doesn't mean that prosperity is not God's will. It just means that other things have to be in order. Other things are more important to God. He really is introduced, uh, interested in our character development. And his number one priority, his number one priority for you is to see you transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And if a million dollars or 10 million or 100 million dollars will move you away from that rather than toward it, you can waste a lot of time praying for it. Because it's not God's will for you at that moment. Now, we've also heard of stories, and I'm thinking of people like George Mueller, who believed God specifically for huge amounts of money. Prayed. It's not like, oh God, meet my needs. It's Lord, I need a million dollars. I'm asking you for it, and I believe I'm going to receive it. And he receives it. He did that many times, believed God for these huge amounts of money. But it wasn't God simply placing a desire in Mueller's heart for a lot of money. What he did was laid it on his heart to build orphanages in England, in London, and to feed thousands and thousands of children. And so what he was believing for, what he was asking for, were, were specific amounts of money to meet specific needs to fulfill the specific call that God put on his life. He needed the resources to... I know it's God's will for me to build this orphanage, and I know it's going to cost a million dollars to build and staff it. Therefore, Lord, I need a million dollars. I expect to receive it. He receives it. That's how faith works for prosperity. Now, so a good prayer to pray. Uh, I learned this one from Patsy. Uh, Caminetti, and it was simply this, Lord, prepare us for the things you have prepared for us. Prepare us for the things you have prepared for us. Meaning, in this case, I know you desire to prosper me, so help me grow into maturity. Help me become the person who will honor you when that prosperity becomes a manifest reality in my life. Prepare us for the things you have prepared for us. Also, you exercise faith in the day-to-day as preparation for the larger faith adventures. He who is faithful in little is faithful in much, right? Start with the donut. Move up to the million dollars. Now, I've already alluded to this, but if faith begins where the will of God is known, I can only believe God for the things where his will has been expressed. So salvation, clearly. Uh, I've shared my testimony with you. Most of you have heard it. But there's one aspect of it that I always like to emphasize, which is, thank God I was raised in a believing household. And by believing household, all I mean by that is I can't remember a time where we didn't believe in God, where we didn't believe the Bible was the word of God, okay? Where Where we didn't believe in heaven. And I believed in heaven. And as a young kid, I knew there was a heaven. I knew there was a hell. I knew there was a God. I knew there was a devil. And the big thing for me, when I prayed the sinner's prayer, when I gave my life to Christ, uh, coming up on exactly 45 years ago, this month, right? Cheryl, what was the date? Yours is today, 45-year rebirth day. And mine's when? Six. You and I on May 6th. 45 years old in the Lord. Praise the Lord. 45. And that's the life that counts, right? So I'm 45. <laughs> only, only 44. So. 
Anyway, anyway, what brought me to that moment of decision was the realization that I could go to bed knowing what my eternal destiny was. Not just hoping I'd go to heaven, but having heaven promised to me. This is salvation. This is huge. This is huge. When we're talking about exercising faith, faith properly exercised is the foundation of that kind of security. Knowing that you are saved is trusting in a promise. I know, I don't know about you. I get out a lot. I see people. This might be hard for you to believe. I promise it's true. I know people who are saved who don't look saved. They don't sound saved. They don't act saved. They don't, all right? Do you know people like that? Really? Some of them are you. <laughs> Sometimes it's even me. All right? So we're not, we're not trusting. When, when, when I, I, listen, I've done some stupid things. I've disappointed myself. I've disappointed others. I'm talking since I've been saved. I have never once doubted my salvation. Never. Do I expect to do better? Yeah, I do. All the time. I'm growing in grace. But my failures have never caused me to wonder, am I saved? Why? Because I always based my salvation, my, 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 my trust, in what God said. It's the finished work of Christ. It's a gift. But we have a harder time doing that with things other than our salvation. I think most of you would, would agree with the salvation part. Again, you might get frustrated with yourself. You might get frustrated with other people. But it's got to go a lot further than that before you start doubting your salvation. But we'll doubt our healing in a second. We'll doubt God's provision and abundance, all these other promises, because we're not seeing them. Well, we don't always see the salvation in our lives, but we know it's real, right? So we cling to that. We hold to that. Anyway, uh, blah, blah, blah. I got off track here. Uh, so yeah, we believe for salvation. We believe for healing, abundant provision, protection, and there are many more things, and we'll get into that probably next week. I'll, I'll give you a little teaser for that at the end of this message. Uh, but what about a donut? What about a car? What about going to Ramah? What about going uh, on a mission trip when you need provision for these things? Can you find a chapter and verse? I knew I was called to go to Ramah. I knew. But I still haven't found the verse in the Bible that says Scott Millis needs to go to Ramah in 1989. Uh, God absolutely can. This is my point. God absolutely can reveal his will concerning something specific for you. He can lay something specific on your heart and you can act on that in faith. How does he do that? How does he reveal his will to you? How do I know I can believe God for a car or a donut or funds for a mission trip or funds for Rama when there's not a specific written verse? John Grunewald years ago shared a message here and it's still one of the best things I've ever heard when he talked about uh, what he said, well, let me read this scripture first. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to us, delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. What's he saying here? This is the introduction to Luke's gospel. And he's sending it to Theophilus in the form of a letter. And what he's saying right here in this little passage is, 
This is why I'm writing it. I have heard the accounts of others. Many have set this, this account. I've, I've heard pieces. I've, I've talked to the eyewitnesses. Or I've read from the eyewitnesses. And it seemed good to me to write an account as well. And Luke's is the most detailed gospel. He's the historian. And uh, he, he was so uh, convinced of the importance of this message that he wanted to write his own orderly account. But why does he say, the Lord spoke to me in a dream and told me to write this? No. What's his justification? It seemed right. It seemed good to me. And you can read there are other moments uh, in the New Testament where the apostles made some decisions. Why? Because it seemed right. It seemed good. But here's the question. What makes it seem good? And what Grunewald was saying was, he went on to share his testimony of starting Rama Europe, or Rama Germany, I think, at the time. Accomplished great things. Uh, today's actually International Rama Day. We're, we will do something about that uh, in the near future. I didn't have anything set up today. But one of the most exciting things about Rama, when I was a Rama student, uh, there were, I think, three Ramas in the world. There was uh, Rama in Tulsa, one in South Africa, and I think Germany had just started. Uh, now there are 250-some Rama campuses worldwide, dozens of countries. Uh, when I was a Rama student, there were nearly 1,000 students in just my class. Uh, today, there are only uh, 300 per class, 300-ish in that, in that neighborhood. But today, as of right now, there are 12,002 actively enrolled Rama students worldwide. Rhema's doing great things. It's a privilege, it's an honor to be a part of this organization. But a lot of these, uh, when, when Grunewald was talking about what became you know, a continent-wide overseas uh, Rhema mission, he was talking about how did you know what to do? How did you know to go and start Rhema Germany, or Rhema Europe, wherever it was he started? And he says, people want to say, you know, which prophet spoke over you? Did an angel appear to you in a, dream? in a dream? He says, the fact is, it just seemed right. Uh, you see how big this is? This is a huge deal, a huge uh, success. It's a huge testimony to the goodness of God, and it got started with a seems right. But a warning, a warning here in Proverbs 12, 14 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Great. So I've got a seems right. How do I know if this seems right is going to turn out to be the next Rama success story or if the seems right is going to end in death? You understand? There's a way that seems right to a man. It makes sense. It looks good on paper. But it could wind up killing me? How do I know if the seems right is right? And I believe the key is Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Be patient if you've heard this before, because some people haven't. Some of you have heard it before, but it never sank in, so listen to me. He's not saying, be good 
and God will give you everything you want. He's not even saying, delight yourself in the Lord, and God will give you everything you want. Trust in the Lord. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. What does he give you? Desires. It doesn't say he will give you the object of your desires. He will give you the right desires. When you submit yourself to him, when you are spending time in his word, in prayer, and in worship, you are putting yourself in a posture to be influenced by God. You are in the perfect place for him to influence your desires to cause something, to cause the right thing to seem right. Now, you might, this, this is, oh, this is important. I mean, it, it's, it's life-saving truth. Because if you are not spending time in the Lord, in his presence, in prayer, in the word, in worship, you might have a seems right that does look, I'm talking even from a Christian perspective. What's wrong with this? I have a plan. It seems right for me to do this. What could possibly go wrong? But you simply can't trust your desires. You cannot afford to be led by your desires if you've never given God the opportunity to influence your desires. I mean, actively, on purpose, submit your desires to God so that he can give you a seems right. That verse in Proverbs, when it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, doesn't, it's not necessarily talking about sinful desires. You understand that, right? So here's a, here's a simple checklist. When you have a desire, something seems right, and you're questioning, is this from God? This is a super simple checklist, and I'm not saying this is all there is to it. Number one, are you spending time in the word and prayer and in worship? Are you delighting in the Lord? Number two, is there sin in your life that you are not dealing with? Because this goes to the motives of, what, uh, of your desire. This is why I desire this. You can't just say, I have this desire, so I will believe God for it. You have to cultivate those opportunities for God to give you the right desires. If you are ignoring sin in your life and you're not spending time in his presence, then no matter how innocuous or how good these desires uh, are, you can't trust them as a guide for life decisions. And you can't pray in faith about them because they've not been revealed to you as God's will. So, once we have established that it is a godly desire, then it fits into the whatsoever things you ask. Does that make sense to you? What Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I like that. That's a great, that's, there's another whatever you desire. It'll be done for you. But what, what's the caveat? What's the framework there? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you're abiding in Jesus and his words are abiding in you, guess what? There are certain things you are not going to ask for that you are not going to desire. So once again, that's established. We pray, we ask, and we believe once that's established. And keeping in mind, last week's illustration, we keep walking across that bridge. We're standing on that promise until we see the manifestation. 
But how do we do that? How is it that we are in faith? How do we be in faith? That doesn't sound right, but how are we in faith? What does it look like? How do we work it out? There are two ways. You've heard me say this before, I think, that the highest expression of faith, the way faith is most perfectly manifested in our lives is obedience. This goes back to the sin issue, among other things. If I truly believe God, if I, am Im- if I am abiding in Christ, I will obey. You know, we live in the age of grace, and we correctly combat the idea that grace can be earned, that God's favor and blessings can be earned. And so when we hear the word obedience and obey, sometimes, unfortunately, that conjures up the idea of love, or not love, of, of uh, we, we see that as opposed to love. Am I doing this? Am I doing this out of obedience or am I doing this out of love? You are obeying out of love. It, it, what it conjures up is the, is the idea of law or even slavery. Obey. You know, we, they used to say that. It used to be part of the wedding ceremony. Honor and obey. Oh, we can, we're, not, we're not into that obedience stuff, that submission stuff. Well, we're, we're, we're supposed to be. Okay? This Jesus... Think about this, Jesus' disciples, the ones who were closest to him, who knew him best, who loved him, and whom he loved, they still called him master, didn't they? And if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lord means master. There is Yes, he's our father. He's our, uh, Jesus, in, in a spiritual sense, is our brother. Yes, he is our friend, but he is still Lord, God, and master. If I truly believe God, if I'm, abi- if I'm abiding in Christ, I will obey. Jesus himself said, if a man loves me, he will keep my commandments. If you love Jesus, you'll obey Jesus. If we continue in disobedience, ignoring sin in our lives, it's not only indicative of rebelliousness, it is a lack of faith. Do you understand? To say my obedience doesn't matter is contrary to what Jesus himself says. You can't speak that in faith. And you can't, no matter how much you feel in faith about something, you can't do that and walk in disobedience because disobedience is a manifestation of lack of faith. This is what Malachi was addressing when he wrote his famous passage that we always refer to about the tithe. He's saying, you don't give, you don't honor God with the tithe because you think you're going to lose in this bargain. You have no faith that God will fulfill his promise to see that you lack no good thing. And that promise doesn't appear for the first time in Malachi. It goes clear back to Deuteronomy. You're going into this good land. And as long as you continue in this way, in my way, and obey my law, you will. Your vats will be full. Your livestock will be healthy. All these blessings it promised. But God said, but, built right into those promises were conditions. Bring a tithe of all. Bring the first fruits into the storehouse. And they weren't doing it. And Malachi's like, this is why there's lack in your life. You're not trusting God. You think you have to hold on to this because you don't want to, oh, once I give this tenth to God, Then I'm down. I'm down 10%. You don't understand. God has promised to multiply that back to you. You're not shaking your fist in rebelliousness at God. You're simply walking in fear instead of faith. Now, along that line, 
remember when Jesus was asked about paying the temple tax, they were challenging him. uh, They asked Peter, uh, does your master not pay the temple tax? And Peter goes, of course he does. Then he goes to Jesus and says, "Uh, are we supposed to pay the temple tax? And Jesus says, he has a very clever response about who pays. You know, children are exempt, right? But then he says, ah, we don't want to offend anybody. Tell you what, go down and catch a fish. First fish you catch, reel it in, you'll find a coin in that fish's mouth. You take it and you pay the temple tax for you and me. Do you see there that the provision was found in obedience? Jesus didn't say, don't worry about it, it's paid in my name. He didn't just wave his hand and cause the temple tax to disappear or to make himself invisible to those who were collecting. He said, the provision is there. Here's how to get your hands on it. Now, where did that coin come from? Who knows? Some kid may have made a wish and thrown it into the sea. It might have fallen out of some boat and slowly been washed up and a fish saw it thinking it, you know, little catches. All, all I'm saying is, God beforehand arranged for that coin to be here, to be at a certain place, and for a certain fish to grab it. I mean, we think in, in, in terms of, he raised people from the dead, he healed the multitudes, he walked on the water. This seems like a, a class B miracle at best, but think about everything that had to be orchestrated for Peter to cast this line in and catch this particular fish that had this particular coin. It really was a miracle. And it was miraculous provision My whole point for this message is that Peter had to obey in order to receive the provision. And that's it. Sometimes we're praying for this, praying for that, and God's like, will you listen to me? If you'll do what I say, where I'm leading you is right to the point you're going to encounter your answer, the manifestation of this promise. So faith obeys. Number two, faith speaks the power of the tongue. Faith's confession The word of faith. Remember, we're not just a faith church. We're a word of faith church. And I know that that phrase is a dangerous one to some people because it's been lampooned and it's been abused. But the word of faith is right from the Bible. All kinds of verses. You know this. Uh, Man, take advantage of the technology we have and just type in the phrase, Bible verses on the power of the tongue. Screens full of these things. Uh, Here are a couple super important ones. Proverbs chapter 18, beginning in verse 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. How powerful is the tongue? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus said in Matthew 15 that it's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. Jesus said, say unto this mountain, be thou removed. He didn't say pray to God to remove the mountain. He didn't say wish the mountain away. He said speak to it. This happened. You remember that conversation, that whole conversation about saying to this mountain, be thou removed. Uh, Whenever you stand praying, believe. Happened in response to Jesus speaking to a tree The day before, or that morning, may no man ever eat fruit from you again. And they're coming back later, and they look, Master, the tree that you you cursed is withered. Jesus didn't just walk by and, and be mad at a tree. He spoke to it. 
He's saying you can speak to a mountain and it'll be removed, but the power is in the tongue. Uh, let's read this a little, a little bit longer passage from James chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look, at sh look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire, uh, how, how great a forest little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Now, he's focusing a lot on the negative power of the tongue but the power is power. Listen, friends, if death and life are in the power of the tongue, sickness and healing are in the power of the tongue. Poverty and prosperity are in the power of the tongue. Faith's confession is simply saying about you, about God, and about your circumstances what God has already said about you, about himself, and your circumstances. Do you understand that? Faith isn't saying what I wish Faith is agreeing with what God has said about me, about him, and about his promises. What's going to be different? The circumstances we observe. But what's more powerful? God's word or my present circumstances? Which reality is going to take precedence? Faith and doubt should not be coming from the same mouth. If you catch yourself saying something about your disease your need, or your very value that is contrary to the word of God, repent. You hear me? If you catch yourself saying something about your need, your disease, your value, anything that is contrary to what God has said about you, the first thing you need to do is repent. Turn from that. Stop saying it. I would apologize to God. God, I'm sorry for saying things about me that are different from what you said about me. I'm sorry for saying things about my circumstances that are different from what you said about my circumstances. I agree, my circumstances are different from what you've said, but I'm not going to speak those. I'm going to speak what you said about my circumstances. And Lord, I'm sorry for saying anything about you that is different from what you've said about you. God, you've let me down not what God says about himself. He never lets me down. So if I'm feeling let down, it's not because of something God did. There's a faith battle that I might not have won yet, but the victory is there. It's near, even in your mouth. Then you say what God says. Catch yourself saying something contrary to God? Repent, then speak what God says. In every circumstance. Oh, it can be hard. It can be. He's saying all the time. 
I'm saying, yeah. You're, you're setting your words at war with one another. Oh, I'm sick. I am so sick. I am so sick. Oh, this is terrible. I am so sick. How are you? I'm sick. I've got this disease. Now listen, I'm not saying that we ignore physical realities. We can acknowledge what's going on in, in our body, but we also recognize that what might be going in on, my on in my body and in other circumstances of, of life are not God's will for me. They are not what God spoke over me. So yes, I might be fighting a very real disease in my body. I might, be, I might be encountering a very real financial struggle, but God still says, I delight in your prosperity. By, by Christ's stripes, you are healed. So that's what I'm going to speak over myself. That is me walking across the bridge. Probably heard me say it a hundred times. This is the rule in the Millis household. Beth's been fighting some weird shoulder pain all week. And every day, I ask her, and sometimes I think we're trying to trap each other, but really we're not. It's, it's, we're trying to encourage one another every day. Beth, how is your shoulder? And she says, healed. Healed in Jesus' name. And then it's perfectly fine to say, how does it feel today? And she doesn't have to lie. She says, you know what, it hurts. Or feels a little better today. But we've established what? That she's healed. How it feels is just... That's how it feels right now, but I know where I'm going because I'm healed. That's the walking across the bridge. When I say, how's the shoulder? Must be damaged. I think I'm, I think I'm going to have to, uh, I, clearly I'm going to have to have surgery. I'm going to have to get a shot or something. Then I'm walking backwards. I'm getting further away from the manifestation that's on the other side of that bridge. I can say, hurts, but I'm healed. It's not going to hurt for very long. Why? Because I'm healed. Because by his stripes I'm healed. In Jesus' name I'm healed. The healing power of God is working to, uh, to effect a cure, a miraculous cure in my shoulder, in my knee, in my uh, intestines, wherever you are fighting something. Keep speaking it. And that's how you walk across that bridge. You catch things coming out of your mouth. Repent of them. It's hard. Why is it hard? Because no man can tame the tongue. Is it impossible? I say it is impossible for you to tame your tongue. That doesn't mean the tongue cannot be tamed. It means you can't tame it. Who can tame it? God. Holy Spirit can tame your tongue. Listen to me. Fire. Good or bad. Depends on where it is, right? Depends on if that fire is under control, right? Fires are destructive. Fires burn houses down. Fires also keep houses warm. Fires burn people. Fires keep people warm. A fire that is controlled, tamed, focused, and directed to a particular purpose is the basis of it powers whole cities, moves cars, trains, planes. This is fire. That has to be tamed. Tongues are powerful. And tongues can be powerfully destructive. That's why you look up these verses, verses about the power of the tongue, a lot of what you'll see is the damage we can do with our mouths. Praise the worship team, you can be coming up here. I'm wrapping this up. But tamed, the tamed tongue, oh my. 
Oh my, let the Holy Spirit tame your tongue. Psalm 141 verse 3 says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. You pray that God himself will superintend what comes out of your mouth. Actively yield your tongue to him. How do I do that? You know the best way to do it? And I'm going to preach a message, probably a two-parter on this, Possibly starting next week, I might tie it in with the, with the rest of this faith message because there's one more, a couple more things I need to address and it might, or it might be the week after that. We're going to talk about, uh, in some depth, about praying in tongues. I know that's a scary topic. It's a confusing topic for some people. Believe me, it doesn't need to be. The Bible, it's like, well, can we just... And I know most of you don't feel like this. But I know some people, you believe in it, but you still struggle with it. Uh, some people not maybe sure what you believe in it. Rest assured, though, this is what's good news. You say, well, if the Bible just had some more specific things, if it, if it said more, I know it mentions tongues, but does it really explain them? Yeah, it does. Be better, but there's more about tongues in the New Testament than there is about baptism. And people don't struggle with baptism at all. We don't need to be worried about tongues. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to talk about its importance. We're going to talk about what it's for, how to do it, all this good stuff. Meanwhile, Stand up with me. This is what's beautiful about praying in tongues. What am I doing when I do that? I am yielding control of my speech to the Holy Spirit. What better way can there be of taming my tongue? Even if I don't know what I'm saying, what I'm doing is a spiritually powerful thing. I am yielding control of my speech to God himself. I'm training my tongue to say God's will. And that will spill over even to when I'm speaking English. When I'm speaking with the understanding, my tongue has been trained to speak God's truth, God's will. Amen? So, uh, I mentioned earlier on in this message that our very salvation rests on these truths. And I'm looking at a room full of people that I believe are saved. But just in case, very quickly, if you can identify with the kid I was describing that was me 45 years ago, desperately wanted to know, am I going to heaven? Is there more to salvation than that? Yeah, there is. But 100 years from now, nothing's going to matter more. When it's heaven or hell, you can know today what happens next. I, I believe, you know, I believe it. I celebrate the God of the Bible who has promised us long life. With long life, I will satisfy you, show you my salvation. And he's talking about this life. But the fact is, none of us knows exactly how long we have. And what a relief it is to know that this life isn't all there is. And there is nothing better, nothing of all the blessings that God has poured into my life and all the blessings that I observe that he's poured into your life, they are as nothing compared to the promise of salvation. He has made it available. He doesn't dangle it out there and say, try really hard and we'll see what happens when you die. No, trust in the Lord. Believe in the Lord. Confess him as Lord. Believe God has raised Jesus from the dead and you shall be saved. It's a promise. Do you want to receive that promise today? Does anybody in here want to say, yes, I need that assurance. Today's my day. I confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I believe God has raised him from the dead. 
I want to be born again. Anybody? All right. I pray and believe that means I am looking at a room full of saved people. Let's start speaking this stuff out. Let's catch, let's, we don't want to slip into being the word police. We catch one little word of, uh, of doubt coming. Ah, stop that. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I've told you those stories. I'll tell you some again next week. They're funny. Uh, but at the same time, let's kind of hold each other's feet to the fire. When we hear doubt coming out of somebody's mouth, that they're, maybe they're asking for prayer. Uh, can you disagree with me about this? And then the next 500 words that come out of their mouth are simply magnifying their circumstances. I need prayer. What do you need prayer for? This is bad, 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 this is bad. How about, can you agree with me that what the word of the Lord says is true in my life, that I am healed, that I am delivered, that I'm abundantly supplied for? Let's focus on what God has said and encourage one another to speak into ourselves and into each other's lives. What we, where we're going to go with this next week to wrap it up is how all of this ties in with living the gospel and preaching the gospel because ultimately this is what faith is for. Praise the Lord. Are you glad you came to church today? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us to truly walk this stuff out, to speak this stuff out in a way that not only blesses us and changes us, but elevates us, exalts us to a place of usefulness in your kingdom so that we see the world around us changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll be seated for a moment. Uh, as we wrap this service up, it's time to uh, continue to worship the Lord with our giving. If you brought cash this morning and need an envelope, you can wave your hand. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.